Welcome back, friends. So we've wrapped up Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And on that hillside, the Mount of Beatitudes, there were hundreds of people seated there listening to this teaching. And as we move now into chapter 8 of Matthew, we're going to encounter some of those people. I'd like to begin with the man with leprosy. Now, we need to pause a moment, and if we were to turn back to Leviticus chapter 13, we would learn about leprosy. The Hebrew word is sarat, and it's not modern-day Hansen's disease. It's a much broader term that embodies infectious skin disease. But you can also have items with sarat. You can have a house that has sarat, mold, if you will. No, it's a broader term, but one that was particularly difficult in particularly Old Testament days. Now think for a moment of being a family living in Galilee. And if you were living in Galilee, chances are you were either a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, a commercial fisherman, or you were a farmer sowing seed in your field. So imagine on that hillside, the Mount of Beatitudes, where in the springtime, a man came out, and in fact, Jesus will even tell a story about this. The man casting seed. Some fell on the rocks, some in the bushes, some on fertile places, some on a path. You know, Jesus didn't make that up. He was teaching down by the lake itself, looking toward the Mount of Beatitudes, and just saw a man sowing his seed there, and used that to illustrate his teaching. So imagine these people having all listened. And now, when he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Again, Sarat from Leviticus chapter 13, a much broader term than modern-day Hansen's disease. So if you were that man, if you're old Jacob, sowing seed out in your field, working hard. You know, there the are rocks everywhere in the land of Israel. Huge numbers of rocks. If you want to clear a field, what do you do with the rocks? You pull them out of the dirt and you build a wall around your property with the rocks. But you've worked hard on this property and it's hot out and you're sowing the seed. And you notice on your left arm, on your forearm, a kind of red spot, maybe a few inches big, and you think, well, maybe, maybe a bug bit me, and it's itchy and uncomfortable, and, and you keep your sleeves up, uh, get some air. And when you get home that night, you sit down to have dinner, and your children are around the table, and, you're, and your wife said, what's, what's, what happened to your arm? Oh, I don't know. I think maybe something bit me there. Um, it, it'll be fine tomorrow. But tomorrow it's not fine. And day by day, the redness spreads on his arm. And then, one day, as he's having breakfast, his wife said, you need to have that looked at. It's, it's red all around, but a deep crimson toward the center with, with an indented bluish-white spot. That's not good. So what are you to do? If you see that, and you're a Jew living in Old Testament or New Testament times, 
You're to go to the priest who will examine you and determine if it's Sara'at or not. Maybe he's hesitant. Well, it could be. Go home and come back in a week. So you go home, you come back in a week, and sure enough, it's gotten worse. And the priest says, I'm afraid you have it. You know, like, like COVID today, <laughs> sorry you have it. And there's no vaccine for it. Oh my, what does that mean? It means you cannot go home, it's infectious, and you must wear a mask on your face and you must stay outside the community, socially distanced, if you will, and no one can touch you. Doesn't that ring a bell today? I remember sitting in church on a Sunday shortly after um, COVID emerged, and I could just imagine uh, the priest up front looking out at the congregation, still meeting in the church, and everyone was wearing masks. It was like a leper colony. <laughs> well, that's what you would do. And no one could touch you. And no one could cure it. Unlike COVID, one or two percent of people get it die with Sara'at. It cannot be cured. And you will die eventually. So you're an outcast. You're a leper. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, translated sara'at, lepra, and the Latin vulgate simply moved that into Latin, and in English it became leprosy, as we see it in the King James Version and the earlier translations. But this man, no, he was avoided like the plague, and yet he was on the fringes of the crowd and heard Jesus teaching. And when that crowd came down off the mountainside, that man with sara'at, with leprosy, came and knelt before him. Now, everyone knew who that man was. And I'll bet he had a cloak with a hood so people couldn't recognize him. And he came before Jesus, dropped to his knees, looked up at Jesus, the hood fell back, and the man's face was terribly disfigured with this disease. Anyone else would have gasped and drawn away. But what did Jesus do? Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. The crowd must have been horrified. The man had said to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus touched him, I imagine, had him stand up, embraced him, and said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately, he was cured of his disease. Like in a movie, his dead, infected, diseased skin suddenly morphed into the perfect skin of a newborn baby. Immediately, he was cured. 
And Jesus said, see that you don't tell anyone. Don't go trumpeting this all around Galilee. Show yourself to the priest as required in Leviticus 13 and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Make the proper sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. Sacrifices of thanksgiving. So we have a wonderful tale here of this man with leprosy. I think in many ways we can read scripture and, and see sarat as a metaphor for, for sin. You know, we're all infected with it and left unchecked, we are all going to die of it. But Jesus cleansed the man. The man heard his teaching. The man came to him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you're willing, you can take away my sin. And Jesus is indeed willing to do that for you and for me and for all of us. All we need do is ask, Lord, I love you. I want to spend eternity with you. I want to live my life in your family in a way that honors you. Would you accept me? And Jesus would say, yes, I will. I love you. I've loved you from the beginning of time. Come into the family. What a wonderful story. Now, when Jesus left the Mount of Beatitudes and left the leper, he entered Capernaum. And I noted earlier that Capernaum is maybe a 20-minute walk uh, from the Mount of Beatitudes. So he went back to Capernaum where he was living with Peter at Peter's house. And a centurion came to him. A centurion is a Roman soldier and officer in charge of 100 men. And he said, Lord... Now notice, he's a Roman centurion. He's not a Jew. Lord, my servant lies at home, paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And Jesus said, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I command 100 men. I tell one, go, and he goes, that one, come. They give a hearty eye, sir, and follow orders. I tell my servant, do this, and he does it. But when Jesus heard this, he was utterly astonished. And he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Boy, what's he getting at here? 
many of Jesus' own will reject him. And many will come from outside and be accepted in. We all have a choice to make. Once we encounter Christ, and once we're given that invitation by grace through faith to come into the family of God, we've got a choice to make. We can say yes and step into the family of God, or we can say, no, I like it where I am. And God will respect that choice. Salvation is not a reward for good behavior. Damnation is not punishment for bad behavior. It's a choice. There is not a single person in heaven or hell who didn't choose to be there. And again, God wants all people to be saved. He extends the gift to all. But many reject it. Remember? The gate and the path. The path and the gate are narrow because not many people choose to go down it. Many more walk the wide path with the crowds and enter through a wide gate. But this centurion, an outsider, a Roman Gentile, showed faith that even Jesus' own didn't show. Jesus said to the centurion, Go, and it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Long-distance healing. Jesus didn't touch the man, the servant. He simply said it, and it was done. Now, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law in bed with a fever. So he walked into Peter's house, and in the Gospel according to Mark, this scene is preceded by Jesus driving out a demon from a man in the synagogue at Capernaum. Now we've been to Capernaum many a time, and, uh, and I've taught these stories in the synagogue. The synagogue is not a first century synagogue. It was originally, but what the structure there now is a 4th century synagogue, reconstructed. But if you dig down, and on the east side of the synagogue, on the left, they've excavated down to the flooring of the 1st century synagogue. That synagogue is 37 yards from Peter's house. I've measured it, standing at the doorway of the synagogue to Peter's house, with my laser rangefinder, 37 yards. Peter lived right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. How about that? Peter had beachfront property, <laughs> and Jesus lives there with Peter during his public ministry. So he came home, and uh, it, it was a Sabbath, and he expected to smell Food. Nothing. Huh. Peter, where's your mother-in-law? Oh, oh Lord, she's, she's really sick. She's in, in bed with a terrible fever. 
really? Let's go have a look. So Jason and Peter, along with Peter's wife, after all, if he has a mother-in-law, he also has a wife, went in and there she was, lying there on, on her bed, drenched in sweat, shivering with chills. And Jesus said, ooh, you don't look good. I feel terrible, she said. And Jesus knelt down beside her and he took her hand and he said, here, let me help you up. And she began to sit up and then put her feet on the floor and then stand up. And by the time she was upright, the fever had drained. And she said, oh, I feel so much better. I better get dinner going. And off she went in Mark to wait on them. That is, she's the eldest woman in the house. It's her responsibility to have the meals all prepared and ready to go. He touched her hand. The fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. Well, what did she have? When we travel to Israel, we fly into Ben-Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv's a modern city and uh, wasn't there at the time of Jesus. But from Tel Aviv up the Mediterranean coast as we move on up into Galilee, that was a very swampy area. And when the modern state of Israel was founded in 1948, one of the first things they had to do was drain the swamps on the coast. Because when you have swamps, what comes with them? Mosquitoes. Lots of them. And what comes with mosquitoes? Malaria. So I would bet that Peter's mother-in-law had a fever, a reoccurrence of a bout with malaria. And he touched her, the fever left, she got up and began to get dinner ready. Well, when evening came after dinner, the sun went down, Many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. That's Isaiah 53, the fourth of the suffering servant songs in the prophet Isaiah. So Jesus heals many. And over in Mark, we have another example of that healing. As he was teaching there in the, in the house, and a house in those days, Peter's house, would have been a, a, a structure of buildings around a courtyard. And um, the courtyard was where you keep the animals, and you'd have the living quarters and the kitchen and so on around. And then stairs that would go up the side of the house, of the courtyard. And the roof, a flat roof, would be where you'd take your chair at night and have a glass of wine and look out over the Sea of Galilee and, and enjoy, the, enjoy the view. So when Jesus was teaching in the house, inside the structure, crowds were coming, bringing all these sick people. And there was a man who was paralyzed. Couldn't move at all. Paralyzed from the neck down. His friends brought him on a stretcher, on a litter. And they couldn't get through the crowd. So they went up the steps on the side of the building to the roof, and they began digging through the roof, 
moving away away the shingles and the and the uh, and, and, and the, the the insulation and opening a hole in the roof. Now Jesus is inside teaching, and of course the teacher is seated, and the people are all standing around, and debris begins to fall down from the ceiling. And Jesus looked up, and the crowd looked up, what in the world? And then the hole got bigger. Daylight was coming through. And Peter, oh, Peter said, what, are you, what the hell are you doing up there? Get off my roof. You're ruining the roof. And they lowered the man on the stretcher down into the room. And when he got to eye level with Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. Now, that was an odd thing to say. Unlike the leper, be clean, your sins are forgiven. Wouldn't you expect him to say, get up and walk? Your sins are forgiven. What happened to that man? Now, we noted that if you were living in Capernaum, in the Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee at the time of Jesus, you would be either a commercial fisherman or a farmer. I imagine the man to be a fisherman. Not catching dinner, but catching a boatload of fish and putting them at Magdala, where they process the fish for shipment out into the Roman Empire. So imagine the man fishing at night. It was typically better fishing up on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and the breeze is blowing, the wind is blowing, and it's time to head back in. They pull in the nets, pull in the fish, and putting up the sail to go back to Capernaum. When a, when a rogue wind hit that sail, spun the boom around, hit the man in the back of the neck, knocked him in the water, broke his neck, and they fished him out. And he was paralyzed. I imagine the man to be maybe 30, 35 years old, maybe 40, lying at home, flat on his back, not able to move anything, looking at the ceiling day after day, week after week, month after month, perhaps year after year. And what do you think about under those conditions? Perhaps all the things that you shouldn't have done, that you shouldn't have said. Perhaps things you wish you had said, wish you had done, but now you can't. And you become fixated on your failings. You can't support your family anymore. They have to take care of you. They have to feed you by hand. They have to wipe your butt. What do you think about? Think about your sins, your shortcomings, your failings that can't be corrected. And that's what ate away at this man, not the paralysis. That's what ate away at him. And when they lowered him through the ceiling and Jesus' eyes met with his, Jesus saw right into the very heart of his pain, and he said, your sins are forgiven. 
And with that, the man's eyes filled with tears. The litter was put on the floor. And Jesus said, rise and walk. Take your litter and go home. And to everyone's astonishment, the man got up, picked up his mat, and walked out of the house. People were dumbfounded. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, big crowd of people all around the house, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. He said to Peter, bring the boat around. Let's get out of here. Have a little privacy over there. But then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I'll, I'll follow wherever you go. I'll, I'll come along with you. And Jesus said, really? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know? When we visit Capernaum, there's a, a bronze artwork right at the entrance of a park bench with the homeless Jesus lying on it, wrapped in a cloak, nail marks in his feet and hands. The homeless Jesus. After Jesus began his public ministry, after his baptism and his launching his public ministry, he didn't have a home. He lived with Peter. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. I have no place to lay my head. You want to follow me? There will be a cost to following. And you don't know what that cost is going to be. No, you want to follow Christ? It's not going to lead to a life of health, wealth, and happiness. No. That's loving him for the wrong reason. Oh, you may be blessed with health, wealth, and happiness. That's not the relationship, what the relationship's about. There may well be a price to pay. In the first three centuries of the church, up until 325, the Edict of Milan, Christianity was an outlawed religion. It was the age of the martyrs. Many, many, many of the saints, the martyrs, died during that time. Killed by any number of awful ways. But you know, today, in our world today, there are more Christians being martyred this day than there ever were in those first three centuries. You know, here we are, here I am, living in San Diego, teaching the Bible, being on, on podcast and, and on audible.com. and Pretty darn comfortable. But there could be a price to pay. Would we be willing to pay it? Another said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. I got responsibilities at home. It's not that his father is lying dead at home. No, he has an aged father that he's responsible for. I, I, I can follow you after I'm, I'm free of my obligations here. Well, how many of us have said that? Oh, yes, Lord, I'd like to follow you, but first let me 
let me retire and uh, get my affairs in order, and then I can really focus on, on ministry. No. Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bear their own dead. Fish are cut bait. I don't want excuses about, oh, I have these responsibilities and those responsibilities. No. If you're going to follow him, get up off your butt and get moving. So he got into the boat and his disciples followed. Now, without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sound asleep in the bow of the boat. The disciples went. They woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Now, you've got to know, the Sea of Galilee is shaped, ironically, like a pork chop. And at the widest point, it's about eight miles across, north to south, about 13 miles. And at the very center, at the deepest part, depending on the level of the lake, about 140 feet deep. I've dived it. I've been on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. But uh, it, it's 700 feet below sea level, surrounded by mountains. And when the wind comes in off the Mediterranean, which it does every afternoon, it stirs up the waves. But sometimes you get an inversion, what's called a Scirocco, and the wind comes off the desert over the Golan Heights, hits that water like a hammer, and churns it up. I have a friend who lives in Israel who's a guide. And she said, I've personally seen nine-foot waves on the Sea of Galilee. When you get that inversion, that Scirocco condition, and that's what happened. It happened suddenly. And these men are commercial fishermen. They've been fishing this lake all their lives. And when they say, Lord, save us, we're going to drown, that ship was going to break up. And Jesus woke up. He stretched. And he said, oh, you have little faith. Why are you, why are you so afraid? Can't get a little nap around here. He got up. He rebuked the winds and the wave. And it was completely calm. The men were amazed. And they said, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So we've seen his teaching. We've seen his teaching, brilliant teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And he had various iterations of it that he would teach over and over again in all those different places. Brilliant teaching. We saw him heal people who were eaten with illness. We saw him healed the man with leprosy. We saw him heal the centurion's servant and many others. But controlling nature? That is something a step above. And that is for sure. Now, when they arrived on the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming toward the tombs met him. And they were so violent, no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They got it. They saw what happened in the storm. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Now, some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. Now, over on the Golan Heights, the Decapolis area, 
There were nine Gentile cities over on the Golan and one at Scythopolis or Beit Shan on the west side of the Jordan River, just south of the Sea of Galilee. But they raised pigs over there. They were, they were Gentiles after all. Why did Jews not go over on the other side? Because it was people with Gentiles and pigs. Well, there was a large herd of pigs feeding there. And the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. So he said to, not the man, but the demons in the men, the two men, he said, go. And they came out, rushed down the hill into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake where they drowned in the water. Well, what a scene. Again, we've been to that area, the region of the Gadarenes, virtually every teaching tour to Israel. We go there while we're up in the Galilee. The pigs ran down the hill and leapt off the cliff. There's only one cliff on the east side of the Sea of Galilee that meets with the water. That's the region, the area that we're talking about. So all these pigs... The, the men were infested with demons. Jesus drives them out, and they go into the pigs. Imagine the herd of pigs grazing on the hillside, nosing for roots, when all of a sudden, boom, a demon enters right at their butts, and they leap in the air, ah, and they rush down the hill and leap in the lake. That tells you something about people. These two men lived with a legion of demons for years. A demon went into a pig, and a pig would rather be dead than live with the demon. Well, down they went. Those tending the pigs ran off into the town. They reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. You know, I've heard people say, well, he just wrecked the economy of the Decapolis cities. Well, maybe so. But no, he had just calmed that storm, and everyone living in those cities on the Golan saw it happen instantly. And now, all those pigs running into the water? Whoa, this is too much. We might be living with pigs. We might be Gentiles, unclean people, living with pigs. But, no, we, we, we have our comfort zone here. We don't need this. We don't need this Son of God coming in and doing these things. Please leave. And he did. You know, Jesus will, will say things and do things and enter our lives in any number of different ways. But we have the choice to say yes to him or no. These people chose no. Oh, and by the way, this scene in the region of the Gadarenes with the demon-possessed men and the pigs rushing down the hill, leaping in the water, it's the very first example in Scripture 
of deviled ham.